Oh, good worship tonight. Thank you so much, so much. Exodus chapter 2 tonight. While you're turning there, a couple quick things. First of all, uh, I was talking to my son before the uh, service tonight, and he said, Dad, please remind them just another week to sign up for the fall lock-in. So uh, parents of youth, uh, be aware of that. And also he was telling me that they need a couple more chaperones, but believe it or not, not for the night shift, like the midnight to six, which is the one you would think there would be the need for. He needs chaperones from the 7.30 to 11.30 shift. So if any of you would be willing to come and help them out, uh, please see uh, my son Steve. Uh, he would be uh, happy to uh, not only see some more youth sign up, but also uh, have some help with the chaperoning, especially earlier in the evening. And then, can I just say how exciting it is to see how God is moving and working in our church and how great it is to pastor such a growing church, and not just numerically, but spiritually. But let me talk just for a brief second about the numerical growth. If you were here Sunday, we had the largest attendance Sunday of any Sunday this year except for Easter. We had 30 first-time visitors on Sunday. 30 first-time visitors. Yeah. Which means that if you're a regular, you probably ought to start getting here a little early to get a seat. Uh, our, both of our services are filling up, and they're filling up fast. And here's the thing. We had a large attendance Sunday, and we had probably 40 to 50 of our people that we know this is their home church, for one reason or another, weren't here. Yeah, all I can tell you is that, you know, we're getting ready to come into fall break, so that probably won't, you know, we won't be able to gauge it all there. But I'm telling you, come November and December this year, I think we're all going to be sort of pleasantly shocked at how how many people now are coming to the Oasis. And uh, yeah, it's a great blessing. And in fact, uh, your elders met last night, and one of the things that took up most of our time last night was not only are we getting ready to meet with the architects and the building team that's going to you know, design and build our phase two, but in the meantime, we're also talking about contingency plans as far as adding additions onto this building for our children and for our teens. And so would you please be in prayer about that? Crystal had over 60 kids in her uh, area on Sunday. Uh, crazy, right? Uh, these new families aren't just bringing one child, they're bringing three and four. And we love that. We love the fact that God is bringing people here and I love the fact that God is bringing teenagers and children here because uh, that's just a great privilege for us to be able to share with them the love of God and the truth of God at a young age, you know. To see a young person be set on fire for God and live their whole lives for God, man, there's nothing like that. You know, maybe some of us, you might have come to salvation and to the Lord later on in life, and we praise God for that. Nothing wrong with that, right? But how, how great is it when you can get a child or a teenager to get on fire for the Lord and to burn all their lives for, for the Lord? That, that's amazing, and we have that opportunity here. All right, Exodus chapter 2. Speaking about children, right? 
The deliverer is born tonight in Exodus chapter 2. But I also want us to see this. The deliverer that God chooses, Moses, has to be delivered himself. He has to be delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, and he even has to be delivered from his own hand, in a way, down the road. Notice, verse 1, a man from the household of Levi married a woman who was a descendant of Levi. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a healthy child, she hid him for three months. When she no longer was able to hide him, she took a papyrus basket for him, sealed it with bitumen and pitch, put the child in it, set it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile, and his sister stationed herself at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Again, we saw last week that a pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph anymore. Joseph was no longer an influence in the leadership of Egypt. And, and the pharaoh felt threatened by the numerical growth of the Israelites. And his answer was, first of all, to try to break them uh, through work and through hard labor. And when that didn't work, he tried genocide. We're going to kill all the babies. And, and when the uh, Hebrew midwives uh, did not follow his plan, then he basically told all of his people, let's kill all of the Hebrew male children. And it is into that environment, if you will, that Moses is born. I mean, think about it. Moses is born in tumultuous times. Moses entered a world of cruelty and pain, of slavery and despair. I want us to remember that. Because I've heard in my lifetime, especially, you know, in the last generation, many Christian parents saying, oh, I can't imagine bringing children into the world and and we as a couple, we're talking about maybe not having children because we don't want to bring children into a world that's such a mess. Listen, God's answer many times to the world is the birth of children. Remember that. That's found throughout the Bible, whether it's Moses, whether it's Jesus, whatever. The birth of children many times are God's answer. And that, yes, the world, is, the world many times throughout history has been in really bad places. Again, think about the world that Moses was born into. It was not a great world, right? His people his, were being murdered by the powers that be. And yet God says, I have an answer. And that answer is a child. Also notice that we are told that Moses' parents were both from the tribe of Levi, verse 1, okay? So Moses, then, was a full-blooded Levite. Why is that important? Because the Levites were the spiritual leaders of Israel. And therefore, in a sense, God is saying that, that Moses is coming from, from good stock, if you will, from, from a good background. And his parents are people of faith. And we know this because of the book of Hebrews, which tells us in Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him because they saw that he was a child 
of a special destiny before God by faith. So they were people of faith. How great it is when a child can grow up and both parents are people of faith. Now, obviously, that doesn't always happen. And sometimes it's just one parent of faith, and God can use that. But Moses had an advantage and a, the privilege of growing up in a home where both parents were people of faith, both descendants of Levi. Again, the woman became pregnant, gave birth to the son. Now, verse 2, when she saw that he was a healthy child, in other places it's translated beautiful. I believe that, again, listen, we all know, every parent thinks their child beautiful. Every parent thinks this is the greatest child that's ever been born. That's not what God's trying to get across here. Moses' parents looked at that child and just knew through the Spirit of God that God had something special for that child. I've seen that in children myself. There, there are certain children in my orbit that God gives me sort of insight into I have them, you know, in a place that I'm going to call them into ministry someday or whatever. God every once in a while does that. A children comes in and, and, and you just sort of know, it's like God has something special for them. I believe that that's what was going on here, right? And that's why then the writer of Hebrews says, so by faith, knowing that God had some special plan and purpose for this child, because remember, they already had a child. Yes, she was female, but Moses already had an older sister, you see. And so I believe that they were moving because God had moved in them. Now, I want you to, you know, one of the things about the Bible that's so great and, and it makes more of an impact is when we can put ourselves into the pages of Scripture. So think again about the pressure and, and the, the, the tenseness and the stress every day that Moses' parents had trying to hide this young baby. Because remember, the Pharaoh's edict is Hebrew male child murdered, Right? So they're hiding this young child. Can you imagine every time that baby Moses started to cry? Like, shh, you know, keep quiet. We, you know, the Egyptians could come at any time and, and, and we don't know when they're going to show up and, and, and check and all that kind of stuff. I mean, can you imagine for three months trying to just every minute of the day thinking, you know, are, are we going to be found out? Is our son... Are they going to find out about this son of ours that we're trying to hide? And then obviously he gets old enough and his lungs are a little bit stronger now that they can no longer legitimately hide him. He's going to make noise. They can't keep him quiet all the time. So the Bible tells us that especially Moses' mother, Jochebed, came up with this plan. And what I want us to see tonight is the Bible tells us that her and her husband moved by faith 
But what I want us to see tonight is that when you and I move by faith, that doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing and expect God to do it all. What we do is we do everything that we could possibly do within our power, and then we leave the rest to the sovereign God. I mean, think about the steps that she took in verses 3 and 4, devising the very best plan she could under such terrible circumstances. You see, I believe that Jochebed, like a lot of moms, they, she took a lot of time to plan and prepare this. This wasn't just willy-nilly, I'm, I'm just going to throw my baby out there somewhere in the Nile. No, I think she thought about what's the, what's the best way to save this child? Well, the Nile River, you know, I, I can do my part to get him out there, and then I've got to trust the sovereign God to take care of him after he's out of my hand. So even the whole idea of, I got I, I to design this basket, right? By the way, this word that's used for papyrus basket in verse 3 is the very same word that is used to describe Noah's ark in the book of Genesis because that's exactly what it was. It was Moses' ark. And, and she had to think through, how can I make this waterproof? How, how can I design this so that it will float so that he won't drown. Uh, she had to put, and here's the other thing, and, and I may be proven wrong when I get to heaven, but I believe like any good mom, I bet she rehearsed this over and over and over again. I think that her and Miriam, her daughter, I think that they went out to the Nile maybe a couple times at least and, and released that to see, will it, will it go, you know, will, and, and is it okay, and does it float, and all that? And, and, and Miriam, here's what I need you to do. You, you need to go down there about to that, because they knew, like, where Pharaoh's daughter and all that. I think she did everything that she could humanly do. That's acting by faith. Because she's moving to the moving of God within her that he has something special planned for her baby. And so she's doing all this, at the prompting, if you will, of the Lord. And she sets him off down the Nile River. Again, trusting the outcome to the sovereign God, which is also faith. She did everything she could do, but obviously there came that point where she couldn't hold on to that basket anymore. She had to let go of that little baby, three months old, and watch him go down the Nile River. Especially to you moms here. How tough would that have been? Again, in the world in which this was all taking place, knowing that the Egyptians, if they found that male child, dead. That would have taken a lot of faith, right? Not just to construct it all, and to plan it all, and to bring my daughter in as part of the plan and all of that, but then to finally be out there that one day and go, okay, today's the day. Today's the day I've got to let him go. But here's the thing. In a sense, isn't that what we as parents always are called by God to do? We're not called by God 
to raise our children and have them be dependent on us. We raise our children to be dependent on God, but independent of us. That's the whole leaving and cleaving principle back in the book of Genesis. And so we all have to sort of release our children to God. Do the best we can to raise them, but there comes that point where we release them to God. Then, verse 5, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself by the Nile. Oh, yeah. Coincidence? I don't think so. While her attendants were walking alongside the river and she saw the basket among the reeds, she sent one of her attendants, took it, opened it, and saw the child, and it was a boy crying. And she felt compassion for him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Crazy, right? Her dad has directed an edict that all Hebrew male children should be killed. And here's his daughter, and she's looking at this child, and all she would have had to do was say, kill him. But she doesn't. She looks at him, notice, felt compassion. It's, she had this sense within her that she felt responsible to spare his life. Where do you think that came from? I'll tell you where it came from. God. God was at work, even in Pharaoh's daughter. You know what that teaches us? Sometimes in God's plan and purposes, help comes from very unexpected places. Humanly speaking, we would have thought if, if, if Moses fell into Egyptian hands, whoever it was, he was doomed. Especially the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, the, the, the child of the one who made this decree that all Hebrew male children should die, and now here he is in her hands, and she's actually the one that spares his life? Yeah, because again, God can have the deck stacked against him. It doesn't matter. God's the one that's ultimately in control, and we can trust him as we've sung about. He is faithful. So then his sister, oh, by the way, Miriam just happens to be there, right? No, 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 no. Again, I think this was part of Jochebed's plan, Moses' mother. And maybe, maybe God gave her some of this plan, you know, as far as leading her to do it this way. But she made sure that her daughter was stationed there to see who and what would happen to that basket containing her baby boy. <laughs> and this is brilliant. You know, Miriam says, shall I go and get a nursing woman for you from the Hebrews so that she may nurse a child for you? That's good. That was like perfect and perfect timing, right? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes, do so. So the young girl went and got the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you wages. Isn't that just how God works? Not only does Moses' mother receive her child back, but she gets paid for raising her child under the protection of Pharaoh's daughter. Who can do that but God? I mean, this story should increase our faith like tenfold because 
God is at work here doing what only God can do, showing us there's nothing too hard or difficult for me, right? I mean, God is blessing Jacobed's faith. You release him to me, and guess what? I'll give him back to you. And oh, by the way, not only then will you be able to nurse him for a few months and take care of him in your home, the Egyptians are going to pay you to do it. Crazy, isn't it? So the woman took the child and nursed him. Can you imagine the joy that filled Moses' mother's heart that day? You want to talk about having her faith strengthened in her God? Say, God, you led me to do this, and look now how this has unfolded. I released him, and he came back to me even better than I could ever expect. That's how God works. When you and I live by faith, God will bless our faith in him. Again, not that we just sit back and do nothing, but we do everything we can do, and then we trust our God to show up big, and he's showing up big in Exodus chapter 2. When the child grew older, though, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, verse 10, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, because I drew him from the water. Drawn out of the water is what Moses' name means. Which, again, is very ironic, because remember last week we ended at verse 22 of chapter 1, where all sons that are born you must throw into the river, and the very river that was going to be the instrument of death for the Hebrew male children was the very same river that Moses was plucked out of. Again, God is like, I got the last word. I'm in control. And I'm going to use the very instrument of death to be the instrument of life and deliverance for my people. So the deliverer that God has chosen to lead his people out of Egypt one day has to be delivered first from his enemies, the hand of Pharaoh, the Egyptian. But then he also has to be delivered from himself. Before we get to chapter 2, verse 11, here's what I want to do. Keep your finger there and go over with me to the New Testament book of Acts. Believe it or not, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives us a lot of filling in the gaps of the story of Moses. That's why I tell people, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Many times you and I can fill in the gaps of things by going to other places in Scripture. And so before we read about Moses continuing in Exodus 2.11, go back with me to, Exodus, or to Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 20. Acts chapter 7, verse 20. We learned some things that we would not have learned in the book of Exodus about Moses. At that time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful to God. For three months, he was brought up in his father's house, and when he had been abandoned, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. So Moses was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in words and deeds. Oh, keep that in mind later on in the story of Moses. Remember, Moses said, I can't talk. I'm not eloquent. Yeah, right. When he was about 40 years old, it entered his mind to visit his fellow countrymen, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being hurt unfairly, Moses came to his defense and avenged the person who was mistreated by striking down the Egyptian. He thought his own people, now here's the key that I wanted to show you tonight out of Acts 7. He thought his own people would understand that God was delivering them through him. 
See, Moses already had this inclination within him from God that he was supposed to be his people's deliverer way before he saw the burning bush. Okay? God had started to work in Moses way back here. Okay? The next day Moses saw two men fighting and tried to make peace between them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you hurting one another? But the man who was unfairly hurting his neighbor pushed Moses aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You don't want to... You don't want to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? And when the man said this, Moses fled and became a foreigner in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Back to Exodus chapter 2. What I want you to see primarily is that Moses had sensed a call to be the deliverer of his people long before God officially called him. Okay? I like what D.L. Moody once said about Moses' life. He said, you could divide Moses' life up into three 40-year segments. The first 40 years, Moses thinks he's something. The second 40 years, he realizes he's nothing. And the third and final 40 years of his life, he realizes what God can do with a nobody. Because notice beginning in Exodus chapter 2:11 that Moses has to be delivered from himself. He thinks that he can deliver his people, but he really hasn't learned how to partner with God and trust God to be a part of it. And that's why he fails so miserably and why he's rejected by his own people. In those days, verse 11, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and observed their hard labor. By the way, the word observed means to concern oneself and to see something with an emotion there. It wasn't just, oh, I see. It's, it's like, no, it, it moved him, right? A Hebrew man, one of his own people. He looked this way and that, saw that no one was there, and then he attacked the Egyptian, killing him, and concealed his body in the sand. When he went out the next day, there were two Hebrew men fighting. So he said to the one who was in the wrong, why are you attacking your fellow Hebrew? Again, a lot of this we've already covered in Acts 7. The man replied, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Are you planning to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid, thinking, surely what I did has become known. And when Pharaoh heard about this event, he sought to kill Moses. So Moses fled from Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he settled by a certain well. Moses does not have what it takes to bring deliverance to Israel because it's going to take God himself. Moses is just the instrument, and Moses hasn't figured that out yet. That's why he fails so miserably here. The Lord will use Moses, but it is God himself who's doing the delivering. Listen, all of us as Christians, all of us as servants of the Lord, this is a lesson we all must learn. Because so often, especially early on in our lives and our ministries, we go out trying to gangbusters and we try to do it on our own. Even things that we think God is moving us to do, but it might be a timing thing. It's like, yes, God is moving, but maybe that's not the season God actually wants it to happen. God has to teach us and mature us and, and grow us some more and, and get us to realize that it's not us. We're just going to be the instruments along for the ride. It's us allowing God to work through us. And Moses hadn't gotten there yet. And that's why he failed. Now, I want to also say this, because this is an important point. But I also think that this is why that failure really played a huge part later on when Moses was so reluctant when God literally told him, 
I want you to go to Pharaoh and deliver my people. And Moses came up with every excuse imaginable. I think part of that was not just, again, how he felt about himself, but it could have been born out of his earlier failure. You and I, we get that, right? And that's why it's so important never to give up and never to quit, because we're all going to fail. We're, we're never going to do this perfectly, right? And sometimes the enemy can take our early failures and get us to the point where we just disengage from serving the Lord and from ministering because we failed in some way. Listen, we've all failed. What we have to do is learn from our failure and move on from that. And Moses eventually does that. And you see how greatly God used Moses. But he didn't start out this great servant of the Lord. He had some hard lessons to learn. He had to learn that all of this was going to be God working through him, and he was just the human instrument, just like we need to learn in our lives. By the way, him fleeing to the land of Midian is a foreshadowing of the Exodus itself, that he goes from Egypt and he goes to this foreign country of Midian and settles by a certain well, <clears throat> an oasis, a source of life and refreshment. And then we get to the final part of the passage tonight. He meets, uh, or he comes to this well, the, these gals of J uh, Jethro are there uh, trying to tend the flock, and uh, these others are coming to drive them out, and he defends them, verse 17, and then waters the flock. And his actions here are showing that he does have within him these leadership skills of being a defender and a protector and a shepherd of his people. And so I love this in verse 18, when the daughters uh, came to him, said, why have you come home so early today? And they said, well, an Egyptian man rescued us from the shepherds, and he actually even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he says to his daughters, so where is he? You left him out there? Call him so that he may eat this meal with us. And so Moses agreed to stay. And of course, then there's the information, a lot that God leaves out, that he married this woman named Zipporah and then had a son named Gershom, which also was a reminder of his banishment from Egypt because Gershom's name means a resident foreigner, which you see there in the last part of verse 22. Now, here's the passage I want to leave us with tonight, the very last passage of verse 23. And what this is teaching us is that God might not be front and center up to this point, but God is powerfully working behind the scenes. He is a behind-the-scenes kind of God. And it's not that God isn't at work, it's just he's at work behind the scenes, which is why God tells us, You've got to trust me, and you've got to learn to walk by faith and not by sight, because I will be working in ways that you cannot detect and you cannot see. And we've already seen that by his protection of Moses and by getting him to Pharaoh's daughter and all of these other things. God is always at work, and we must trust him in that. He's been working out his plan of redemption long before the cries of the Israelites came to his ears. So I say all that, and then we pick it up in verse 23. During that long period of time, the king of Egypt dies. 
But the Israelites were still slaves. And they groan because of their slave labor. And finally they cry out. And their desperate cry comes up before God. Notice. They are finally miserable enough that they cry out to God. But God is already at work in them, I believe, to even move in them to cry out to him. You know, I believe that you and I know when God is working in our life, when we're motivated to pray. And that's exactly what the Israelites were doing. They finally started looking up and crying out to God because God was already even moving within them too. And then I love this. Uh, it says they cried out and their desperate cry because of their slave, slave labor went up to God and then we end with four things about God as far as what kind of God we have and who our God is. First of all, God heard. God always hears. God heard their groaning. God heard their cries. God heard their prayers. That's who God is. God would cease to be God if he didn't hear. And God, let's remember, he hears everything that goes on on this earth in everybody's life. Can you imagine just that that he takes in every day into his ears? God hears everything. Then it says God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. Now the word remembered doesn't mean, oh yeah, like God's senile and somehow he forgot and it came to his mind again. It meant that he is acting upon his, a previous promise, which is exactly what it says there. He is acting upon the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because of what we sung about so much tonight. Because he's faithful to his promises and he's faithful to his covenant. By the way, how great God is and how good God is, he never forgets his promises but he forgets all of our sins. What kind of God is that? That's a pretty good God, right? Forgets all of our sins, throws them into the, you know, the sea of forgetfulness, but he always remembers his promises. That's our God. And then it says, God saw, verse 25, the Israelites. You know, we as human beings, we want to be heard and we want to be seen. And God sees it all. God doesn't miss anything. I don't know what you're going through right now, but you can take these same things that describe the God of the book of Exodus and you can apply every last one of them to your life right now. God is hearing everything that's going on with you. God is remembering everything that he's ever promised to you. God is seeing you every day and what you're navigating and what you're doing and all of that. And then I love this, God understood. And the word understand, again, doesn't just mean that, again, God had the capacity to comprehend. Of course that. This word carries with it the idea of care and concern and compassion. And we know that because, not that I'm going to move into that, I'm going to save it for next week. But when you move into chapter 3, what you see is the next thing that God does is reveal himself to the one he has chosen to be his instrument of deliverance. He's moving. He's not just 
up there going, yep, yeah, I understand how bad it is for you. That's too bad, too bad. No, he's working to change things. He's working to make a difference. He's working to fulfill his promises. That's our God. He hears, he remembers, he sees, and he understands. If anybody understands you, what you're feeling, and what you're going through at any time in your life, it's God. Because you know why? God created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows us from the inside out because he knit us together. He knows our mind. He knows our heart because he created it. He knows how we work. He knows how we think. He knows all of our emotions because he gave them to us. He's the author of it all. If anybody understands, it's God. And then as we talked about Sunday, another reason that God can pour it on and, and another layer to his understanding is he sent his own son to this earth as a 100% human being who, as the Bible says, was tempted in all points just like we are yet without sin. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, understands everything there is to understand about being human as God because he literally in his humility took on a human body amazing amazing God so in Exodus chapter 2 the birth of deliver God's moving God's working and I want all of us tonight as we close to be encouraged maybe God hasn't shown up yet in some big way in your life or whatever you're going through maybe your prayer hasn't actually been answered or a promise fulfilled but here's what I can guarantee you God's working behind the scenes already because he always is and always does and as you're moving through this season of your life I guarantee you this your God loves you and your God is hearing you he is remembering his covenant and his promises to you. He is seeing you, and he understands better than anyone ever could. That's who our God is. You can trust him because he is faithful. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for this amazing story of how you're going to deliver your people from the hand of the Egyptians with a strong arm and a mighty hand, you bring them out of Egypt. God, may we realize more and more every day who you are, that God, the deck can be stacked against you completely, and yet it's nothing for you. Nothing is too hard or difficult for you. The, the odds of what we're dealing with may seem insurmountable to us. We may be facing human giants, but God, they're nothing in comparison to you. God, may we just continue to trust you and be faithful to you. And yes, like Moses' mother, do everything that we can do, but then leave the outcome to our sovereign and loving Heavenly Father. God, we thank you for the worship that we've experienced in your house tonight. And we thank you, God, for opening up your word to us and teaching us tonight, Lord. Would you now take us all home and give us a good night of rest? And God, may you wake us with, with uh, 
just such inspiration and anticipation of, Lord, maybe what tomorrow may bring. Maybe it's just a, a day of communion with you, or maybe you have another appointment uh, in mind for us, or some kind of ministry or service, God. But may you excite us about whatever it is, God, because whatever it is we're going to do tomorrow, hopefully we will do it in partnership with you. And there's no better partner we could ever have in our life than you, Lord. Thank you, God, for all that you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.